As Father Eric reminded us before Mass started, the word epiphany means revelation. And I was happy to see this beautiful project you're doing here at the parish and these epiphany trees and the gifts that help put the Word of God into practice. As you were listening to the readings that were just proclaimed, perhaps you did what the Jews did when they heard some of these same readings. They made these connections knowing that God was pointing the way to his mysteries, that he was revealing himself over time, that in different ways he would reveal himself, you could say in a more sensational manner, that sort of was, there was a before and an after. So we heard in Isaiah, your light will come. Sounds like the light of the star, right? Darkness covers the earth. In this time that Isaiah was prophesying the darkness of our ignorance, our sin, our brokenness, in need of a Messiah, and a star would come to shine the way. And it says, nations shall walk by your light. Right? That light of the star that guided these three wise men from different nations. And then it says, your heart will throb and overflow. What a beautiful image, right? Your heart will throb and overflow. Like the joy that happens with Christmas. We get filled with this incredible joy that God gave himself to us and was born a little baby and it's a season of giving to one another. And even prophesies that caravans and dromedaries would come from the east. His father also mentioned these wise men, these magi came. The Psalm, Psalm 72, Lord, every nation will adore you. It's a, it's a prophecy that not just for the Jews, but for all people of every nation would come to adore. And says the kings of Tarshish and Arabia and Seba, they will be coming. It's prophesying these kings. So the epiphany is a revelation of God who shows his mystery. It's one of these revelation moments. There are many, in fact. So when Mary received the angel who came um, after she was praying, God revealed himself in this message, you've been chosen to be the mother of the Savior. But that revelation was just for Mary. And then when Christ was born in Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph had this revelation of God who was born in the flesh. And then those shepherds saw the angels and they revealed the mystery and they went to the cave to adore. But this moment is the moment that sort of encompasses the entire world. Every nation, everyone is called to adore the Lord. We also have two other moments that the church celebrates epiphany. It's the moment where God's voice was heard speaking over Jesus in the Jordan when he was baptized. The father spoke, said, behold, my beloved son. It's an epiphany, right? God is heard speaking. And then lastly, the transfiguration up on Tabor. Uh, Christ brings his, his faithful disciples, Peter, James, and John. And as he is glorified in this beautiful light, like the light of the star, God's voice is heard yet again. So this is the meaning of epiphany. It's a revelation where God shows himself and opens the door to the mystery so I just want to walk with you for a moment and imagine the story of these wise men, these magi, and what they went through. We read it pretty quickly, and maybe we just remember the story and think, oh, that's nice. But let's just take it apart for a moment. These are three different kings of three different kingdoms. So they probably didn't know each other. We don't know if they were Jews in the diaspora or not. They likely weren't. And they live in these far lands, and they rule over kingdoms. And so they have a certain type of power and influence and comfort and security. And yet their hearts are longing for more. 
And so they begin to start searching the heavens. And they're reading the signs of the constellations. And they believe that God is speaking to them in one way or another as he's saying something in their hearts, that there's something missing, that they're aching for, and something in their lives. And so they, they read the signs in the skies. And they're searching, and they realize that a king is born. And they see in this star, there's a really good documentary you can watch on the star. Um, it's called The Star of Bethlehem. No surprise there. Um, and it's made by a man named uh, Rick Larson and produced by Steve McAvity, who also produced The Passion of the Christ. So in this, um, this documentary, I have to say, Rick isn't the most communicative guy. He's actually a lawyer, so he does other things with his communication, right? But he fell in love with the story because they discovered this computer program that can track the constellations from any point on Earth and any time in history um, through a logarithm. So basically, he puts into this program, okay, if you were in Bethlehem in the year of Christ's birth, what would the skies have looked like? And then if you were in Arabia or Sheba or Tarshish, these different places, like that's modern-day Turkey, these different places in the east, what would the stars have looked like from your vantage point? And so what do the kings actually see? So he, they have this beautiful program that sort of reveals these stars. I won't go into it now. But basically, you see the constellation of Virgo, which means the Virgin, like the Virgin Mary. You see the constellation of Leo, which is the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And as they sort of intersect from this vantage point, two stars overlap and looks like the brightest star in the sky and seems to be moving as the, as, as the earth is moving, actually. And so the wise men saw these constellations as they're lining up and they're pouring themselves over scriptures, either Jewish scriptures or other scriptures, and they realize the Jews are awaiting a Messiah who is the line of the tribe of Judah to be born of the Virgin Mary. They see it and they go, we need to do something about this. Let's go. Each of them in their own land, in their own kingdom, each of these three saw this and went on a journey. We say that easily, right? I just explained the whole constellations, watch the documentary. But this is their story, and then what did it imply for them? Here they are in their comfort, in their homes, right, where it's nice and warm, right? And all of a sudden they say, we need to go. And they leave behind their comforts, and they're going to face dangers that they don't even know of. They're going to go into lands where they can't speak the language, and they're searching for where this star is leading them, and they're not even sure. So basically they put themselves out there, and take every risk possible, submitting their life to the Lord's plan. They believe that God has something more for them. They believe that God has an answer to the ache in their hearts that's searching for more. And so at some points, these three kings probably ran into each other on this journey as, they got, as the, the star was leading them. And then they realize it's pointing towards the land of the Jews and it's pointing towards Jerusalem. It's interesting what happens at that moment. They, it seems like from the way uh, the gospel is proclaimed, right? it seems like it says, after they meet with Herod, it says, then the star again preceded them to Bethlehem. So something seems to have happened where they were walking and, and following the star. They meet each other. They decide to go to Jerusalem. And it seems like at that point, they sort of thought they knew what was going on. But when they meet Herod, they saw everything changed. This king of great pomp 
And arrogance is a scary figure. And he is troubled. What troubles Herod? He feels threatened by a new king who was born. He's threatened by a baby. And then he feigns interest and says, whenever you find this king, let me know because I want to come and worship too. And as they leave Herod's palace, you can imagine their hearts must have been troubled as well. Like they don't know what's going on. They probably did their own soul searching again. Their hearts were clean and good and they were sincere. And then again, the star precedes them and they go to Bethlehem. And they find this little baby who is wrapped in swaddling clothes. At this point, he might be like a year old. He might no longer be in the cave, might be in someone's house where he now has better lodging. But he's a little baby in the arms of a little mother and a good, simple father, Mary and Joseph. And they come and adore. And then it says at the end of the gospel that Deacon Lou proclaimed, having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for the country by another way. And so they leave. So this is the story. Imagine what these kings went through in that whole soul searching, that ache of their hearts. They knew eventually what they were looking for. They brought these gifts, in fact, gold. Gold is fit for a king, right, who lives in a palace and has riches. But they also brought frankincense, this incense that is proper to God because he deserved worship. And then they brought myrrh. And myrrh is a substance used to embalm a body when you die. Because this king, who is God and king, is also man who would die for us. And so you can see how God was revealing himself to these three men in different ways along the journey. And then at the very end, when they meet him, they realize we're not going back to King Herod because his heart is in the wrong place. And we're going back to our lands. But we have worshipped the king and left our gifts. So what does that all mean for us? Right? I don't think we have any kings here in the audience. Right? But we all are searching, right? We all have these places in our hearts where there's a hole. There's something that is aching. And oftentimes we search to fill our holes in the wrong places. There's quite a few options out there. We have access to pretty much anything. And yet, as St. Augustine would say, we have a God-sized hole in our hearts. You can pour lots of other things in there, but your heart will never be full. What we need is to fill our hearts with God. So do we also learn how to do the, like these wise men did? Do we learn how to search the heavens? Do we look for the signs of God who is present? Do we look inside in our hearts and see how he's speaking to us? I'm so pleased to see this beautiful program that you have here at the parish that truly will transform. God reveals himself like he did to these wise men, and he reveals himself in these simple ways. As Father Eric and I were waiting, I met little... Miracle baby, Maisie, wherever she's sitting, 13 months old, with her family who didn't have a good diagnosis from the womb that thought that she would be born with all kinds of troubles. And she is a healthy little girl. And mom and dad persevered in faith and offered their daughter to God. And here she is. She's a living epiphany, right, of God's work in our lives. What do our hearts tell us right now? How do we also submit to the Lord's plan in our life? How do we say that word submission means that I'm going to put myself under the mission of God? How do we say, Lord, what do you want? What is your will over my life? As we've celebrated the great Christmas joy, and like Isaiah said, our hearts are throbbing as we are overwhelmed by this joy, what does it mean to celebrate Christ in our lives? How do we look for him like the wise men did? 
Well, here on the altar in just a few moments, Father and I will say the words of Christ over the bread and wine, and you will witness an epiphany. Christ himself in Eucharist becomes your bread, becomes your food, and on the cross he becomes the Savior who pours out his blood for us. And I'll end with this. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I had the privilege of doing a wedding for a couple out in San Francisco. Most people think people are sort of lost over there in California. Some of them are lost. Yes, we are all a little bit lost, right? But we're all searching. And I, I got to um, meet this young lady. I, I actually um, helped serve the Catholic Googlers. No, that is not a paradox. That actually exists. So every uh, one of these big companies have resource groups, and they have a Catholic group, and they call it the Catholic Googlers. I'm the chaplain of the Catholic Googlers. It's pretty funny. But there are 582 members around the world in 40 different buildings, and they have all these team leads, and we do Bible studies, rosaries, chaplet of mercy. I've spoken of the Blessed Virgin Mary twice in Google now, which is pretty cool, right? And um, one of the young ladies who's part of the group just got married, and I got to prepare her and her husband. Her family is from a Buddhist background, and her now husband, his family is Hindu, and they both converted to the Catholic faith, because they found this beautiful parish community that has 24-hour adoration. They have a vibrant community of young people right there in the heart of San Francisco, and they love the Lord, and they form community. And they discovered their faith through the epiphany of the Eucharist. Going to adoration, they discovered the Lord. And this little Hindu boy, who then became Catholic, was then in charge, the MC of all the, all the ceremonies, right? So he fell in love with the liturgy, fell in love with the Lord. What a witness. And some of their family members don't know what in the world they're doing, like his mom and dad, <laughs> right? And that's okay, but they see his joy. They see that he has followed his star and found the faith and that they live a life that is dedicated to the Lord and to each other. The Lord's inviting us to search our hearts, to look for the signs that point back to him. You have the sign on the altar that's called sacrament. You have the sign in your lives called family, right? The family of God, not just um, those of us who profess faith in Christ, but all of our brothers and sisters. We're all aching and in need of the Lord. Let's pray that um, today uh, through the feast of the epiphany, as we receive the Lord's epiphany to us, we can then be sort of stars that shine for our brothers and sisters to point the way to God. Amen.